Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival. The 8th annual New York City premiere will be October 2023, along with the 5th annual New York Cat Film Festival before traveling the country, supporting local animal welfare groups. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at TracyHotchnerPets.com. I would not be able to bring you this show without the generous support of Dr. Elsie's the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. This show would not be possible without the longtime support from Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food. Other pet food companies may have copied them over time, but Waruva remains privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards, not investors who focus on profits. I have the pleasure of welcoming Lynn Hightower back to the show. Her newest book, The Beautiful Risk, is an extraordinary thriller but so dog-centric and one of the most deeply moving books emotionally that I've read in a very long time. She was on the show before with The Enlightenment Project, but she's the author of so many books. It's extraordinary how prolific she is, but this book feels to me, Lynn, like such a personal, deeply felt and relived book, although, of course, it's fiction and a gripping story with really a fascinating topic of I guess it's kind of eco-terrorism, but I'm not sure if that's right. But this great right. shepherd, Leo, at the heart of it, but also the deeply felt grief at losing a loved partner in life. It, it, how much of this book came from your own well of experience? Pretty much all of it. Oh, dear. Um, I had to be really brave to write this, uh, but... I'm a novelist, and I'm just compelled to write about the things that are just driving me through the day. Yes. And I had so many opinions about grief and German Shepherd as your <laughs> service dog. <laughs> and so I put everything into the book, everything. Well, it's all there. And, and I, the, the thing that stand out the most, besides Leo, who's a, a fabulous dog and makes one really want a shepherd, I must say, you, you, yeah. you, he comes across as so brave, but he is based on the the dog in your own life, isn't he? Yes. Um, he was my first shepherd. 
Um, and he died, oh gosh, in 2017. He was amazing. He was a rescue dog. Animal really? rights group got, an animal rights group got in touch with me and said, listen, we have a shepherd who's in a very bad place. We're going to get him out. We need somebody to take him or foster him. And I'll tell you the truth. My uncle, great uncle Forrest had a German shepherd when I was growing up who loved me and used to knock me down every time I saw him. And I was <laughs> terrified of shepherds. And I'm like, anything but a German shepherd. And they said, um, actually, this is a German shepherd. I'm like, okay, I'll take him. I'll be darned. <laughs> so, so you decided fate had chosen that dog for you at the time. I think that dog chose me and he was meant to find me because two weeks after I got him, I was, uh, my husband was traveling. It was midnight. I was alone working in my bedroom, curled up. And, um, I heard a noise and there were two men at my bedroom window and they were coming in and I had Leo and I'd only had him two weeks and it happened so fast. He had, he was going through the glass and he was going to take them down and they took off running and that's why they're still alive today. And I was so impressed with him. It was like, I had never seen anything like that before. And then five minutes later, he's back in his little bed playing with his teddy bear. I'm like, So, I mean, that, that, is the, that is the extraordinary thing about the human-animal bond and also about genetic drive. But the bond, oh, yeah. that doesn't, it doesn't require that the dog be with you from birth. It doesn't require, you know, 10 <laughs> years of trusty fellow by your side. He knew there no, was danger. Is- it did give me a chill when you said that. When you said that it took bravery to write this book, and it's yeah. such a wonderful book. I, I can't recommend it enough. It, a lot of it takes place in France, and there's such a great yeah. feeling of this area of France and the village, but also mm-hmm. the incredible grief of losing a partner as the, the protagonist loses her beloved man in a very yeah. suspicious, maybe not an accident, in a plane, a crash. Right. and. The grief that she experiences throughout the book feels so tangible, palpable. I mean, I thought Lynn must have suffered something like this. I I mean, as good a novelist as you are, and you surely are, so much of this seemed to come from a deep place of loss within you. I I hope that isn't the case. It is the case. My husband was French, and I, um, and yeah, he passed away in 2019. And I finished up the Enlightenment Project, and then I just felt compelled to write about it because when you lose someone, it's so different from what people tell you. Everything people tell you about grief, it's just a big, fat lie. (laughs) And it is. I'm sorry. I'm opinionated. It's a big, fat lie. And what they don't tell you is the interesting upside of it, which is, I mean... Your creativity is on, mine was on fire. There was nothing I wanted to do but write this book, and I was at the top of my game with it. Yeah, you were. And I, thank you. And I had so many opinions because, you know, people tell you to get over grief in two weeks. Go take some tango lessons. You'll be fine. Right. That's so ludicrous. It's they pathologize it like it's an illness, and it's not. It's not. It's it's love. Yes. And you have to learn how to live with it. And you get to stay connected to that person. Believe me, my husband stays very close. <laughs> well, here. you are <laughs> someone who is spiritual without being woo-woo or 
in, if you Thank will, you. off-putting. That's exactly what I think I am. I'm not woo-woo. But no, but you feel listen. him, and I think a lot of people oh, who've yeah. had a loss are not interested in letting go, because why would they? This love was so central to them. But the use and of people the, tell them to move on, and that's yes. pure cruelty. Move it's into cruelty. it. Move into it. Absorb yes. it. Embrace exactly. it. Exactly. You're yeah. so right. You're and this so book right. really teaches you that while yeah. exploring how did this man die, why did he die, What's the yes. real story behind the story that the protagonist is being told? And also, right. the, the the theft of the dog, who is her beloved dog, yes. and then yes. the conditions under which he's kept, and she gets him back. He's such a brave dog, as well as she's he a brave Leo. woman, right? Yeah, but he is a real dog. He was my Leo, and he did look like a wolf, and he was huge. And, you know, people would cross the street when I walked him. And that and was fine, was, right? It was fine, but, you know, he was not at all aggressive. He was gentle with other dogs. He would lay down so they wouldn't be afraid. He was, Aww. you know, he would never went after people. He just, um, he would not allow a man to walk behind me any closer than 20 feet. I love that. And, and he would just, he would, he, he would give them three strikes and they're out. He would swivel his head and look at them and lock eyes. And if a German shepherd locks eyes with you, you know, you should pay attention. <laughs> 90, 99 times out of 100. And usually these guys were just fine. But Leo said, uh-uh. So they would just cross over to the other side of the street. Wow. And then, and then if they didn't, he'd do it a second time and look at them. And then they would always cross over. But one time... Uh, we got to three, and he just stopped, and he turned around, and he faced them, and he lowered his head, and he was getting ready to leap, and they were up to no good. There are two guys following me, and no they kidding. were dangerous. Yeah, and um, when he uh, turned around, faced him, and lowered his head, they ran. So I was pretty good. I was, I was good with that. <laughs> yeah, and very good not... with him trying to go through the plate glass door when mm -hmm. when you were broken oh, into. yeah. Yeah. Well, I, before I mean, before we get carried me. away in yeah. some more conversation about why this mm -hmm. book took bravery from you, because it clearly took a great deal of you, I'd love yes, to have yes. you read just this short passage that I picked out for you from the book so people get a sense of if they didn't read your earlier books, they must they have to read The Beautiful Risk because it's really in a class by itself. I, I truly <laughs> was just drawn along with it, not like a wave, more like rushing current of a, you know, wow. of a turgid river. It was really fascinating. And you did such amazing research about tunnels and explosions. Yes. And, you yes. know, you, you were so well versed in it that I believed, well, I guess Lynn's also a tunnel engineer. You did a really <laughs> amazing job to make everything so believable and possible and terrifying. It was just great. So, Set the scene, if you would like to, at the beginning of Chapter 15. Okay, I'd like to. So um, so Junie has found her dog, just rescued him. And they are being stalked by a man named Charles St. Priest. And he was obsessed with her husband. And now he is obsessed with her. So she and Leo are on the run, and they're lost. And he had kept Leo as his prisoner. Yeah, he did. Leo uh, was spooked after the plane crash. He dragged her husband out of the wreckage. He was spooked by the rescue. And this man found Leo and kept him. 
Um, but Leo escaped from him, and then she found him. Leo was seen in some, some drone footage, so she went to look for him. And actually what she did, because shepherds are always on the job, she didn't look for him. She made a presence where he was and let him find her, which with shepherds is, I think, the way you would have to go. Very clever. Yes. All right. So read on. Okay, chapter, chapter 15. I climbed up on the rock that had been my hiding place. I was somewhere deep in the forest, and I was totally lost. I scratched under Leo's chin, catching my breath, trying to focus. No sign of St. Priest. Get to the car, I decided. Think of nothing else. The trail made a loop, or so it had on the map Lorraine had given me, and I was pretty sure it would get me back to the steep, twisty road where my car was parked, so I'd have to get back on the trail. There might be a shorter way, but being off the path would be a disaster for someone with my sense of direction. North, south, east, west, it all looked the same to me. And Lorraine had not answered my text. I was cold inside and shaky, but already starting to detach. That was the advantage of deep grief. You really don't care. Then the wind picked up and the rain started to fall. The irony was not lost on me. I had come to rescue Leo, and again, and as always, he had protected me. I gave him his head, and he led me on a circle and right back to the path. Good dog. I put navigator down on his job description. <laughs> we, <laughs> we rambled our way to the top of the hill, walking steadily. We'd come a good way, and I was thinking we should be getting close to the road. The rain was falling softly, carried by the wind. We were shielded by the trees, but we were still pretty damp. Leah was limping, left hind leg, an old muscle injury, so we stopped. I sat on a fallen tree that stretched along the side of the path, and Leo settled down beside me with a groan. A few minutes ago, I had gotten the second warning beep from my hearing aids. I had maybe 15 more minutes, and the batteries would go. I would hear some, but I'd be vulnerable. Except, of course, I had Leo to hear for me. I looked over my shoulder. I could hear the wind in the trees. Leo was panting, mouth wide. I pinched the flesh beneath his fur, and it stayed rigid. His gums were pinkish, the color fading to white. Definitely dehydrated, probably had been for some days. Leo growled, low and menacing, and was back on his feet, head low. Something or someone was headed our way. He touched my thigh with his nose, an official alert, and I said yes, softly. We were back in the groove. We were not prey. We were predators. He was tense and watchful, but quiet. His eyes were bright, and he was lethally still. This was the kind of day Leo lived for, in the game and on the job. I took deep breaths and let them out slowly, heart slamming in my chest. This time, Leo and I heard him at the same time. The scuff of his feet, and he was breathing hard, moving more slowly than before. Well, I was tired, too. Leo huffed low and deep and nudged my leg hard, and I sat alert and gave him a treat and kept a hand on his neck. I could just see St. Priest coming down the path, waving a hand to get my attention, which he had. That is just a great sense of how... You describe the relationship between her and the dog and also yes. this sense throughout the book of constant menace 
There's constantly, oh, yeah. and the menace is because there's no way to understand this plane crash. And then early on, no. you discovered there was sabotage. But who sabotaged the plane and why? And was her beloved the target or incidental damage? The idea yes. that, that you came up with for the potential bombing of the tunnel, was that something mm -hmm. you'd read about eco-terrorists during or was it completely your invention? So I did quite a lot of research on um, climate change and eco-terrorism. Um, my husband was an engineer, and he, um, you know, he would go and fix things at manufacturing plants, I quite see. a bit like the husband there. So mm -hmm. I had a certain amount of background on this stuff, and I, you know, I found it all fascinating. And um, and I. Set it in Mount Blanc, and I ran across an article about the Mount Blanc fire, the Mount Blanc tunnel yes, fire. Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. That was so horrifying. The people trapped in the tunnel and, and the way they heat. Uh, you know, the, it's smoke and it's heat, and you can't see, so you go to your car and you stay there, and you're just incinerated. Yes. Um, and I was so impressed with how brilliantly the French and the Italians rebuilt the tunnel with this incredible safety system where there are places to pull your car over and safe rooms to go in if there's a fire and their fire trucks are there. The emergency people are there. You, it's annoying. You go through the tunnel and they take over your radio and you can't right. honk your horn and you can't get out of the lane. You are under their control. But that's so cool. Very impressive. Yeah, very. And so then I'm thinking, so if I'm a terrorist, how am I going to go after this tunnel? <laughs> well, I mean, that's really the, the beauty. <laughs> it's the beauty of the book, Lynn. We're, we're, we're running out of time, but I just have to say the book is so full of details about so many things, which you make interesting to us. And you, you. you just are a great tale teller, but also you're a really good feeler of feelings and Yes. You And you describe them really well to us. And I think we feel for this character and we can imagine all of the things she's feeling, both her fear at being stalked or her lack of it because her grief gives her a certain uh, – some sort of a shield against the miseries of the world. It does. The book You're is The Beautiful Risk and the book is beautiful. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It is just a wonderful way to, to ride out summer. Thank you, Lynn Hightower, for a job beautifully done. Thank you. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will try their products because they support my mission, to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Wonderside, a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective natural way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your pets and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and have been doing that for 14 years and answer only to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal also privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, 
where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative Dog Chew No Hide and the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky blue Weimarano Maisie will eat.